Pastini is Eugene's new Italian bistro at Oakway Center, dedicated to serving up two of life's greatest pleasures, pasta and wine. Join them for classic favorites like spaghetti and meatballs, linguine with clams and sausage, and fettuccine Alfredo paired with hand-selected Pacific Northwest and Italian wines. Pastini. Eat pasta. Drink wine. Welcome to the Duck Pod from DuckSports.com. Here's Ryan Thorburn and Austin Meek from the Register Guard Newsroom. All right, we're back for another podcast, The Duck Pod. Uh, Ryan Thorburn here. What's your name? Steve Mims. And you are? Austin Meek. Guys, you were only in Tampa for a week. You already (laughs) forgot about us. It's been a while since uh, I've seen both you guys in the same building. I guess let's start with uh, the last month and, and basketball specifically. Steve, uh, you had quite a run going from uh, covering a team that had no shot at the NCAA tournament to, you know, was on the brink of beating Virginia, the eventual national champion in the Sweet 16. Uh, what are your, your takeaways from that run? My main one is that after watching Virginia win, I think Oregon probably looks at it and feels like they, they could have been right there. And, you know, as crazy as that 10-game winning streak was to get to the Sweet 16, it's not unrealistic to think that, that Oregon wasn't a team that if they get by Virginia, you know, hit a couple shots and beat Virginia and, you know, Purdue didn't look overpowering. And then you got uh, the Final Four just watching Virginia get there. And the way they did it, playing a style that Oregon was somewhat mimicking at that time, I I think that amazingly that, that Sweet 16 run – you almost look back now and think, man, that could have really been something. Mean, they could have been in the Final Four in Minneapolis with that, too. And, and the way they were playing, they might have been that hot team that would have kept it going. So I think that's a tough thing for them is looking back and just seeing, you know, kind of like the women just miss shots at the end of a game that if they make, you know, a couple of those, even it changes the outcome. In a strange way, did their predicament, though, of having to get hot, having to go on that streak help them? And, you know, they got a great seed at, at the 12 seed in a, in a quadrant that was obviously very winnable. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the, and even the Pac-12 tournament, you know, this was the year if you're going to go four for four, they did. And, you know, even going through the top two seeds as they had to, that wasn't, you know, ASU and Washington, they ended up kind of blowing by both of those. And, and yeah, you you not only get the, you know, the five seed in Wisconsin, but then you end up with the 13 seed pulling an upset, and it's a real small UC Irvine team. So that sent them in. And, and yeah, I mean, like I say, Virginia and Purdue was sitting there waiting, and I think they felt like at that point, the way they were playing, they were going to be a hard team for anybody to match up with. Austin, you wrote a column kind of about the Michael Avanti. Uh, try, he's trying to take down Nike. They're trying to get him incarcerated, spat, and the backdrop that was with the Final Four. What's your position now on, on the state of NCAA men's basketball and it seems to me like the general public doesn't really care if, if certain players are getting bags of cash or not <laughs> versus uh, watching the Final Four. We're still going to watch the Final Four. Kind of rehash what you wrote in, in the Register Guard the other day. Yeah, clearly uh, Michael Avenatti, his plan was to uh, upstage the Final Four with these uh, with these allegations against Nike, but I, I don't 
I don't sense that most fans uh, really cared that much about about any of these allegations. I, I think fans have become kind of desensitized to any story about shoe companies uh, giving money to players. I think most people understand that that's what happens behind the scenes with the top players, and you know, there's a little bit of intrigue, I guess, locally around. Bowl, bowl and the question of was Nike involved somehow in his decision to pick Oregon but you know, when I look at it look the guy played nine games at Oregon what are they going to do vacate you know vacate their loss to Texas Southern I don't think anybody really cares about that uh, so you know, I, I, I think it was a you know it's a little bit of a headline but for most fans, um, I, I don't. I don't think that stuff really detracts anymore from uh, enjoying the Final Four or, or watching college basketball. And how do you feel about Dana Altman and the whole plausible deniability of this this system? You know, obviously there's guys like Sean Miller that are holding on. There's others that assistants that have been uh, found guilty in court. Um, people have been fired. It seems like there's a range depending on where you are of the consequences of this system that we have yeah i think i think most fans now will make a distinction between situations where a player is alleged to have been paid by a shoe company to attend that that company's school versus a situation where the coach or the assistant coach is accused of bribing the player to come play for the coach you know if it's just a matter of Nike is trying to create relationships with these recruits and make sure they go to a Nike school, whether that's Oregon or Kentucky or Duke or whatever. And most fans, you know, those kids are going to go to those schools anyway. You know, KU and Kentucky and North Carolina and Duke are going to get all the, you know, most of the one and done recruits anyway. So if the shoe companies are behind the scenes, line in some people's pockets i don't think most fans really care about that it, it is a different situation uh if if there's an allegation like was the case with the lsu coach where he's on a wiretap personally talking about arranging a payment to a recruit i think most fans would see that as being a different deal there's been some whispers and some rumors and you know some innuendo around oregon but i haven't seen any hard evidence uh, that any coach at Oregon was involved in a scheme like that. So until that comes out, I think most fans uh, are going to kind of tune it out, right or wrong. You know, I, I'm not so naive as to think that the coaches are just you know completely isolated from this and have no idea what's going on. I'm sure at some level the coaches realize what the shoe companies are doing uh, and may have some some level of involvement in it. Uh, but unless you get somebody on a wiretap saying, "Yeah, you know, we paid fifty grand to this player to get him at our school," you know, there's a pretty high bar anymore, I think, for fans to be scandalized by what happens in college sports. Well, Steve Bull Bull is obviously on to the NBA. I, I kind of laughed out loud when I saw some of the posts on Twitter breaking Bull Bull <laughs> is going to the NBA like it was some revelation. You know, that was his intent from before he got here. But now some of the other guys, most of them, of the key guys, are, are testing the NBA waters, which I think just about every you know high level player is going to do from now on with you know the way they can you know get a grade go through a combine and still come back and now they can even uh work with an agent and still come back so 
Uh, of the guys that are testing those waters, do you think they'll all come back, or are there some that you think um, will probably go to the NBA? I think Luke King's targeted for the NBA. I, I think he felt, you know, we talk about Bull Bull coming in, thought one and done. I think Lou thought all along this was going to be a one and done. There was a setback, obviously, with the knee injury that delayed his start, and so that may have raised some questions. But I think by the end, he, you know, he established himself as, you know, Oregon's top scorer. At the end, he had a nice postseason run, started to pop up in some second round type draft. And I think for him, that's about all he needed. I think he feels like, hey, as long as I'm kind of on the radar, I'll go and go through. And he may get a combine invite either way. I think he probably feels like he's a second round guy. And I just think he's ready to, I think he coming in here, he thought it would be a one and done thing. And, and so I think, you know, I, I just don't, you know, I think there's a lot of, people who would tell you that, hey, he could have a really good year next year, come in and, you know, kind of be healthy the full year and be a little bit more explosive and maybe he moves up. But I think a lot of times guys just when they see what, where they're at and that they're going to get picked, they'll kind of jump in when they can. Pritchard and Moot, I'd have to think, come back. I mean, I don't think either of those guys have a chance to get drafted unless, you know, somebody went and really, you know, if Wooten went and just autumn with you know if he I don't think he'd get a combine invite but if he went somewhere and you know with his his measurements and and physical ability and Pritchard same thing unless somebody really kind of saw something and told him they really liked him I I think both those guys want to go out get their name out there in the neither of those guys came into this year really on the NBA radar I think this puts them on it to come back next year and and kind of have a head start on it next year well that's a good transition to the women's game where Sabrina Ionescu is coming back uh, she probably would have been the number one pick in the WNBA draft. Um, sadly, for you know gender equity, her salary would have been about fifty thousand dollars. So it wasn't really a financial decision as so much. You know, did she check off all her goals at Oregon before doing that? Um, I imagine she'll be in the running for the number one pick next year. But uh, I wasn't surprised. Uh, there was a, a late report by a guy who was pretty respected a friend of kelly graves who kind of threw people off for a second saying she was going to go the wnba but um you know obviously we had a story written that she was coming back and just we're kind of waiting on her to to make it official but um as she said she she struggled with the decision a little bit um she wrote her players tribune piece saying she'd come back but she told him not to post it until um the final minute when she could give the go-ahead and and decide for sure kind of like her recruiting uh saga where she showed up right before oregon left for for a european trip um what do you guys think of sabrina coming back and just her her impact not only on oregon's program but this whole discussion about the wnba well, I think it it means that she's going to be the face of college basketball next year. Uh, certainly on the women's side, in in one of the faces of of college basketball as a whole, I think it means Oregon is now the the favorite, you know, the preseason number one. Um, so you know, it's setting up to be uh, you know as as great as this year was. You know, it, it kind of I think in the middle of it, we kind of felt like, wow, this you know this year of women's basketball, we'll never see this again. You know, sold out Civil War and you know uh, Sweet Sixteen, Elite Eight in Portland. <laughs> Next year is going to be even better. You know, Pac twelve is going to be better on the women's side. I saw a lot of the early preseason lists have four Pac twelve teams in the top ten. Uh, that regional is going to be back in Portland next year. So take this year and multiply it by two, and that, I think that's what we're that's what we're going to be looking for next year. Uh, it's you know this, this ride is going to continue, and I think you, know, you don't you don't really want to say national championship or bust, but kind of feels that way for the Ducks now. 
Yeah, the refreshing part about this whole thing is Sabrina and Kelly Graves aren't saying, whoa, slow down, you know, one game at a time, it's a process. They are embracing this. I think Sabrina even said, we're not going to take losses this year like we did to UCLA and Stanford, Mm -hmm. none of that stuff. So they're thinking about being an all-time team, one of those 40-0 teams like UConn and Baylor. But their schedule is going to be uh, challenging, so I don't know if that'll happen. But I, I agree with you. They are clearly the number one team in the preseason AP poll next year. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the I understand, but WNBA wants to build off the Final Four and it's the draft thing. But I think that, you know, giving her one day to decide is is, is pretty brutal, too. And, it, I mean, it forces her to, during the Final Four, she had to have it at least partially on her mind because she knows the deadline's coming up a day later. And you wonder with her if it was like the NBA, if she could go check out some WNBA teams, you know, go through the combine and maybe have a little bit more time to kind of realize maybe she would have left if she's been, hey, I really like this team that's got the number one pick. I think I fit there. I like the coach. But I can't imagine that she even spoke to a team with the way the timeline's set up there. So... I think that works against the player and, and probably helps the college team at that point when uh, you know you force somebody to make a decision without really being able to go kind of look into all that's involved in it. Yeah, I think in a perfect world, you know, she would probably be in the WNBA and be getting paid millions of dollars, but that just doesn't exist. And she's a big enough star and thoughtful enough about this whole issue that you know she realizes that she's going to be a bigger celebrity at Oregon than she would be with the Las Vegas Aces or, or whatever team you want to name. And, you know, maybe in a year when, from what I understand, their collective bargaining agreement will be up or renegotiated, maybe she can help change things. You know, she's not going to be making bull, bull money, obviously, but uh, just to change the exposure for the sport and maybe get them a salary where they don't have to spend most of the year uh, on other continents playing professionally just to supplement it. Yeah, I'm curious. You know, we live in such a bubble in in Eugene covering Oregon sports, and obviously around here, Sabrina Unescu is is royalty. Yeah, she she walks on water here. She's a you know the huge star, um, you know, up there with any other athlete on campus for sure. Um, you know, I, I'm interested. You know, to see how her um, national exposure increases next year, uh, it feels like people around the country really are catching on to how good she is. But it's hard. You know, it's hard to really know that in in Eugene, where we're so inundated with with the Ducks all the time. Um, you know, it, it's not really a WNBA market here. I'm sure that you know, for for as much as we say about you know, nobody knows the players in the WNBA. If there was a WNBA team in Portland, uh, you know, if, if it was a big WNBA market, maybe there would be, you know, a little more awareness of that sport here. It, you know, this is just such a college sports market. Um, everybody's so focused on the Ducks here, so sometimes it kind of skews our our perception. But I do think, you know, by the end of next year, if if this team has the season that everybody thinks they can have, and knock on wood, if everybody's healthy. I do think Sabrina Ionescu will will leave Oregon as you know one of the most decorated and one of the most well-known players in her sport, you know, to ever to ever wear the jersey. Yeah, I can tell you just from being at the final four who the stars were. They were Gina Oriema, uh Kim Mulkey, um Muffet McGraw, 
and Sabrina Ionescu. And Kelly Graves wouldn't get mad at me saying that because obviously the media loves Kelly Graves. He's the best. But she was the biggest star there. And uh, a lot of that is the the newness of having Oregon there, uh, a West Coast school, you know, the Nike brand, um, their style of play. They were clearly the best offensive team in the country. But she is really the face of women's basketball right now. I mean, we all because we're in the Pac-12, knew about Kelsey Plum, covered her. She's a great scorer. And I'll be honest, in the summertime, we take time off and vacation. I've never seen her play in the WNBA. So that's something that Sabrina maybe could work on. Maybe she's so big that the WNBA would add a, a you know a, a team in Portland yeah. and they would get the number one pick. And I think that's yeah. the kind of thing they need to do to to increase their market share. But uh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating because she is the show and the great thing for Oregon is they have some other really elite players like Satu Sabali, uh, Ruthie Hebert and, and the list goes on. So, uh, exciting times if you're an Oregon women's basketball fan. Were, were you in the room when Muffet McGraw and Gino were being asked about being hypothetically married <laughs> to each other? Did you catch that? Yeah. Um, Kim Mulkey's press conference was before theirs. Yeah. And the, her answer to a question started that whole thing and it was totally not related someone asked her about the competitiveness and maybe they were alluding to Gino and Muffet between the coaches the rivalries between the coaches and that sort of thing and she just off the cuff and, and this is the way she talks said you know if there were no basketball involved we'd all be friends we all have similar interests maybe some of us would be married I don't think she was thinking Muffet and Gino were going to be married but you know of course a media person asked them about that and and they were not having it nor should they yeah Gino and and Muffet well you know I I read I read Gino's response and you know obviously I wasn't in the room and you don't really pick up on the uh, on the subtext of it necessarily um you know, it, it seemed like he was kind of saying, you know, why why in women's basketball do we always have to focus on, you know, the coaches and their personalities, and why can't we just focus on the games? It was an interesting answer, but I did think, yeah, in, in some ways, that is a sign that women's basketball is becoming like every other sport. Because look at any other sport. Look at the NBA. The NBA is all about personalities. It's all about drama. You know, it's like... It's the best reality show on TV. Like that's how sports fans, you know, enjoy sports is to focus on kind of the individual rivalries and the personalities of the coaches and the stars. And so I, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing for women's basketball if people are talking about Muffet McGraw versus Gino Oriema. Um, you know, it, it's it's a sign that people are treating women's basketball like they treat any other sport and yeah obviously you know with any other sport you know there's there's analysis of the games uh x's and o's all of that stuff um and you know you have that too with women's basketball but i I don't see anything wrong with people focusing on kind of those interpersonal rivalries in the sport because it's the way the way we treat any other sport i agree i mean men's college basketball is all about the head coaches i mean that's what drives the sport. You have your stars that are, are remembered, like the group Oregon had a couple of years ago, but it's Dana Altman that's here year after year, and th- and that's kind of what drives men's college basketball, whereas in the NBA, it's the players, and coaches really don't matter that much. So uh, you have to have stars, um, whether that's the players or the coaches, and I think uh, the Oregon women's basketball team has both. <laughs> 
Well, what now? Well, I guess we could segue to uh, spring football briefly. I've (laughs) lost track of them a little bit. Mims has been out there uh, recently. Nine down, ten down, four or five to go. They've got two more this week, tomorrow and Saturday, and then two next week, and then the spring game. So I think, yeah. Did you glean anything worthwhile from the scrimmage in Portland? Oh, just that uh, there probably would have been some quarterback sacks if the quarterbacks could be sacked. A lot of defensive linemen sprinting past quarterbacks who then would throw the ball out there. But no, I think... uh, you know, I, I think it happens any time in a scrimmage like that. Everybody's oh, they're so impressed with what the defense is doing right away, and then suddenly people come in and say, wait a minute, shouldn't the offense be better than this and that? So, um, no, I don't take much out of that. In fact, they had one-on-one drills where they were introducing, you know, wide receiver, uh, you know, Micah Pittman going up against defensive back, you know, Thomas Graham Jr., and they'd throw, and if the pass was caught in the end zone, the crowd went crazy for a touchdown, and if the defender knocked it away, the crowd went crazy because it was stopped. So it was, it was tough to figure out who to root for when the offense is playing the defense. But uh, And I assume the spring game would be the same thing. You know, you're going to look at it and try to glean too much from it. But uh, I do think that it seems like the guys have talked about picking up the defense a little bit, liking the fact that there's a little bit more versatility involved. Um, and the offense, I think, feels like they yeah they need to they need to do a little more. They need some of these receivers to step up. Micah Pittman will be interesting, and and Juwan Johnson, obviously, who came in and, and see where they're at in the fall. But I do think some offensive questions you know remain around there, not around the line, but just around the skill position guys, whether it be the running backs and the receivers. And you were around when when Kayvon Thibodeau spoke the, uh, yesterday. Um, seems like. You know he's going to be the next big star at Oregon, uh, if he can play half as well as you know his recruiting ranking and how well he speaks to the media. What's your first impression of him? Well, he could be the next Sabrina Unescu. You know, Um, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. He's uh, you know he's all all of the six five and and two forty. Said he's going to be potentially but two fifty. He's not going to be the stud. He's going to be the the defensive end. And and I think you know he talked about yesterday. I want to run with the ones. I've gotten a little chance this and that. I got to think that. You know, without having seen what's going on, and they do have some guys back that, that he'll be with the ones by the end. And I think some of that in the spring is you just want to keep him at the twos to kind of, you know, you elevate him to the ones five practices in. Suddenly the guy sits there and thinks that it's his job. So I, I think that's what you're seeing this spring is they're going to keep him, make sure he knows there's a competition going into the fall. But just looking at him physically and, and seeing kind of some of the plays he made during the scrimmage on Saturday, it's hard to imagine them lining up against Auburn with him not being in that spot. And a great talker. Yeah, I mean, he. You can tell he's a kid who, you know, he probably got calls from every recruiting service every day of his life for the last year and a half. And, uh, you know, he, he spoke his mind a little bit about some things. And I hope Oregon lets him keep talking because, you know, he's, he's a guy who's going to say some things that might make you a little bit uncomfortable where he's from and things like that, but also tell some pretty good jokes. And, and I think he'd be a, a pretty good face for that program. All right. Well, we will uh, certainly uh – rejoin you and and talk more Oregon football ahead of the spring game Um, that's a wrap for now thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you soon thanks for listening to this episode of the duck pod from ducksports.com be sure to subscribe on iTunes Google Play Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and always available at ducksports.com 